All right, guys. Well, welcome everyone to Delta Six Story Time number two. I want to say the first one was was with you, Brother Joe. This time it's in honor of Veterans Day. So Veterans Day is 11-11, uh, November 11th. And also today is the Marine Corps birthday. Happy birthday, Marines. Today's pretty special. Me having uh, grown up in a military family, also previous member of one of the auxiliaries and trying to get back into one of the auxiliaries. Uh, veterans have always had a good place in my heart, which is one reason I became elk to help them out. And our fraternity has been around since 1907. What does that mean? We've seen our way through, what, both world wars, Vietnam, Korea, Iraq and Afghanistan, and already and all the way up to our present times. Veterans have always been a very important part of our country's history. And though we are the international fraternity of Delta Sigma Pi, we are mainly based in the US. At this point, we do not have any outside US chapters. So the military has always been ingrained into the culture of Delta Sigma Pi. And a lot of people said during this pandemic, if we could survive the world wars and many other conflicts that took people out of universities to go fight for their countries, Delta Sigma Pi could get the, could survive the pandemic. And one thing I wanna clear up for people because there's a big misconception of Veterans Day versus Memorial Day. Veterans Day is the day we honor those who are and have served, but did not die in battle. Memorial Day is when we honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice defending our country. Did I get that right, Tony, in a nutshell? You're right on there, Vito. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so if you didn't know, there are four branches of the United States military. Or do we still count the Coast Guard since they're under the Heart Department of Homeland Security instead of the Department of Defense and don't get paid when there's a holdout asking for a friend? Do we count the Coast Guard? They're not a freestanding. We uh, we count the Coast Guard. We count the Coast Guard. We count the Coast Guard. We, we so, can. So obviously then we have the United States Coast Guard, the United States Marine Corps, again, happy birthday, the United States Navy, the United States Air Force, and the United States Army, of course. And they each have things that make them particular to their branch, to what they do, but they also have their own medalies, which I'm gonna share screen and play for you guys right now. And feel free to unmute and cheer on who you want to, because, I mean, with, with Keith and Tony here, we already know Air Force and Army are going to go at war. Christine, I don't know if you want to chime in on that, but you know how they get. You guys can hear? Here, somebody's phone ringing in the background. <laughs> Let me try that again. I'm getting nothing. 
Don't know why that didn't happen. Ironically, they end with the Marines on their birthday. Mm. I think that statue, they might get some favoritism over that statue since it's so famous. That's just me though. Um, 
But also something to note is there are a few of our brothers that are serving uh, overseas right now. So wishing them uh, best of luck over there and safe travels home whenever that, that may be. And also a lot of our collegiates do join ROTC programs or some of them have just come back from serving when they joined Del Sigma Pi using the GI Bill. So we got three speakers tonight, three of our brothers who have served or are actively serving. We have Mr. Tony Coe, who is a uh, veteran of the United States Army. We have brother Christine Lee, who is a active Air Force reservist and also fun fact, a professional fly firefighter as a civilian. And our Capital founder, Keith, who is a retired Air Force. So first we're gonna go with Tony, then we'll switch through the panelists and have a good old time. Tony, floor is yours. Um, okay, so I need to start speaking. There we go. Um, so first, um, the, the order of the song, so I'll say service order is officially um, Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force, and Space Force when they get there. Um, and the reason the Marines are before the Navy is because there was a 10-year period between the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812, where the U.S. thought, man, we don't need a Navy, um, and they brought it back. So that's what let the Marines jump in front of the Navy for service order. And um, <clears throat> the Army song that played was actually the field artillery song. Um, the Army song, they kept the same tune, they changed some words around, um, but as field artillery, I'm glad that was the first song. Um, I don't know where to start. Um, so I dislike school or classes, um, so I actually enlisted in the Army. Um, I was still in my first semester of my senior year of high school. Um, when the Army spent all my time in Fort Lewis, infantry, um, got out and, um, and uh, attended Cal Poly Pomona um, with a friend of mine, Adrian Avalos, um, who was the one who kind of got me into Delta Sigma Pi. Um, you know, at the university and the union, there were the tables and all the socials had their side and uh, the non-socials had theirs. And there was a table Adrian hung out and it had, um, you know, Brothers Delta Sigma Pi and we also had a relationship with Phi Chi Theta, who was still all female at the time. Um, and I liked the group and what they did. And, uh, and so that was when I, when I joined Delta Sigma Pi. Um, somewhere in there, I um, got into ROTC. And when I graduated in 88, um, I went to Lawton, Oklahoma, to Fort Sill for um, officer school. Um, there wasn't really any Delta Sigma Pi there. I think now there's a chapter at Cameron University. Um, and then after that, I went to Germany for a couple years, um, came back to Fort Sill um, for about seven years. And, um, and then I needed to get to, my father-in-law wasn't doing well, so I asked the army, hey, can you get me a little closer to California? Um, and they did what all HR offices do. And they took about two hours off the drive and um, sent me to Norman, Oklahoma. Um, all right. Um, unpacking my boxes, I found my pledge manual, looked through it. Hey, there's a chapter at OU. 
Um, so I went there after work one day and completely different. So Cal Poly Pomona is 50% parking lot, very commuter university. And um, OU is a completely different experience as a university. That chapter is qualifies as ancient, I think. Lots of traditions, a lot bigger than we were. Um, and after I went to a couple meetings, um, the chapter showed up at my office and said, we voted you to be the faculty advisor. Um, I basically had a 10 year break. There was, you know, no Delta Sigma Pi in Germany or in, or in Lawton at the time. Um, so I said, well, time out. Um, I called Adrian Avalos and said, hey, what's this all about? Can I do it? Um, called Dale Clark to say, I'm not even in the School of Business. I'm an ROTC instructor. Um, and he said, nope, if you're faculty at the university, you can do it. Um, and then I talked to their old faculty advisor and said, I'll be gone in three years. And she said that was fine. Um, and so after a 10 year break, that's what got me back into it. Um, my first grand chapter was 99 in Houston. Um, at one of the OU chapter meetings, this guy, Mike Maloney showed up. Um, had no idea he was part of that chapter at the time. It was great meeting him then. Um, and then after, after that, um, I went to Fort Irwin in California. Um, not to, again, not too close to anything, um, but I did get a chance to go back to um, Cal Poly and see the reactivation of my chapter and the Palm Springs GCC. Um, and then I was in Korea for a couple of years, um, came back to the States here in San Antonio. Um, I was DD for a new chapter um, at UTSA. So I was, they started in 2006 and I was their DD from 2007 to 2013. Um, went to my own chapter's 50th anniversary um, and over COVID got, got connected with FRAC. Um, so I currently still work for the military. Um, I work for the Air Force on Lackland Air Force Base at a place called the Defense Language Institute English Language Center. Um, we teach English to internationals before they go off to other DOD schools or back to their home country to work on their own language program. So um, one of the things is, is the Army dress uniforms are super expensive. Um, so you look for every opportunity to wear it, and I could wear it at Grand Chapters. And one of the things that was really fun or interesting wearing my dress blues and, and later my mess dress was um, the number of brothers that came up and said, you know, hey, I'm specialist so-and-so in this unit, or, um, you know, I wasn't even aware of how many were actually in until I wore my uniform and suddenly they would, you know, come say hi or come gravitate and, and lots of great conversations with that. So that's my story. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you sharing your, your story with us. Always, Tony Tony tells great stories in general. So if you ever want to hear a good story about Del Sigma Pi, the Army, or just anything, Tony's one of the guys you should look for. Um, next up, we have Brother Christine Lee from the Landify chapter, which is actually the first chapter I had the opportunity to officially DD for. And I'll let you tell your story, Christine. Thank you. Um, so hi, my name is Christine Lay. I 
um, crossed um, in 10 years ago, uh, fall 2011, with the Lambda Phi chapter at Cal State Long Beach. Um, during my time there, I was uh, president and senior vice president. Um, I was part of the blind family. We don't have, oh, we'll have a few Lambda Phi brothers here tonight, but um, I was on the, in the blind family, um, started, started by Sean Finley. Um, I was lucky to pick up three littles, um, one uh, whom I moved to from California to Washington with. Um, we ended up being roommates, taking on the big city with our big girl job straight out of college. Um, I'm pretty close with my, uh, my line. Uh, DSP gave me a family. Um, you know, they all come to visit in Washington once a year. Um, in college, I uh, double majored in supply chain management and uh, business management. And I was lucky enough to um, land an internship during my junior and my senior year at the Boeing Company, um, initially working on uh, commercial aircrafts and purchasing and negotiating with suppliers. Um, and uh, a few years later after that, I um, transferred up to Washington State um, to work on the defense side of things and um, purchasing aircraft parts for fighter jets. Um, and working with Air Force customers. Um, so that kind of leads me into my military background. Um, <clears throat> I am Staff Sergeant Christine Lay, E5 equivalent in, uh, in other branches. I'm currently a reservist. Um, I've been in four years now. Um, I enlisted um, uh, when I was 25 uh, after I'd already graduated college and um, gone into the corporate world. Um, I knew I was drawn into um, and just serving. Um, I always wanted to uh, do the military thing, but it was not uh, cool, I guess, when I was graduating college and everybody was like, you know, applying to colleges. So I didn't pursue that, but it was always an interest. And it wasn't until um, my parents were kind of pushing my little brother, who's two years younger than me, to um, join the service. Um, they asked me as the older sister to take him to all the branches and talk to recruiters. Um, he ended up not joining and they got me. Um, I was actually going to join the Marines initially, but they went, uh, were asking me to remove a little small tattoo that I had on my wrist. And I was, uh, so I guess it all happened for a reason. So I ended up joining the Air Force instead, which was the best decision ever. Um, I actually went enlisted instead of commissioning. Um, I knew that I wanted the enlisted experience um, first and then um, commission afterwards. Um, so I'm currently with the 86th Airport Squadron at Joint Base Lewis McCord up in Washington. Um, I will soon be a second lieutenant, which I'm super excited about. I, I'm uh, finally um, achieving my goal of commissioning. Um, I'm leaving in January to go out to um, Montgomery Alabama, which is Maxwell Air Force Base for OTS. Um, so that'll be exciting. It's not the summer, which I'm stoked about not PTing in the heat and the humidity. Um, it will be pretty chilly. So I'll have my fleece and, you know, Gore-Tex jacket and all that. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, so I'll be a stallion, which is kind of cool. It's like a animal initiations when you go to lead school. I'm not sure if they still do that. But uh, basically, um, it just means that I'm going enlisted, enlisted to commissioning, um, which is a great honor. Um, it rarely happens or happens once in a while. So um, I'm pretty, pretty grateful for that. Um, 
a little bit more about my enlisted background. Um, I'm in air transportation, which is um, pretty much like logistics, but like more hands-on. I'm not a loadmaster, but I do work with loadmasters. Um, and uh, that kind of went along with, I got put into that. It was like my recruiter kind of figured my degree background is supply chain management and logistics. So they kind of just like threw me in there. And I was like, cool, there's a sign-on bonus. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool with that. And uh, I just wanted to serve. So um, it ended up being great because my unit is amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, just like that, that family, sense of family, like they're, they're the best. Um, I've had so many great opportunities in the last four years. Um, I've gotten to go to Japan and like support missions there. Um, I've gotten to go to Georgia and um, compete against um, teams from all over the world in my career field from other Air Force bases in events to show our proficiency in our career field. Um, for example, like uh, processing passengers for air travel, um, like we did in recent, um, recent uh, events with the refugees. Um, we, I got to drove, uh, drive uh, heavy equipment vehicles through obstacle courses, um, practice or um, do events where we were loading aircraft, uh, simulating like night operations with the aircraft running at the same time, low visibility, um, it's hot because you're next to the engines and you gotta wear these goofy goggles and you're just trying to like load this huge uh, Humvee into a small aircraft like C-130. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting and fun. It was a great, um, great time. And uh, um, our, my team ended up placing uh, into events. So that was amazing because it's like international event. And that was probably one of my fondest memories so far. And another great memory I have uh, at that same event in Georgia was, um, you know how we have a coin and uh, we were at the bar celebrating after a whole day of events. And uh, I, I had a coin in my pocket and I was reaching for something like my phone or something. And I dropped the coin in a bar full of Air Force um, members. And <laughs> uh, so if you drop the coin and uh, if someone doesn't have the coin, you have to buy them a drink. But if everyone pulls out a coin, you owe them the drink. So I owed everyone in the bar a drink. I had to drive, I bought like buckets and buckets of beer for everyone at the bar. So that's my little funny story there. Um, luckily the, bucket, the buckets in, uh, in uh, Georgia are pretty cheap. There's no like, you know, craft beers. It's like, a, um, forget what the, the beer of choice is there. Uh, Yinglings, if anyone knows Yinglings, I, I, they don't sell that in the West Coast, but um, so um, another cool opportunity that I have coming up is I get to fly on a C-17. Um, and if you haven't get, uh, gotten to see a C-17 in the sky, they're amazing. Um, they look like whales in the sky. And when I was working at Boeing, I got the opportunity to um, you know, work on the last um, C-17s that were being manufactured, um, get sent off. So it was like a full circle of my um, career after college and then going into the military. Um, and then next month I'll get to be on the C-17. Uh, we have 50 C-17s at um, McCord Air Force Base, which is pretty cool. Getting to see um, a flight line full of C-17s and then you got Mount Rainier in the background. It's majestic with you know, the sunsets. And um, so that's a little bit about my military background. Um, Kind of just going through the prompt. Uh, I have uh, what DSP means to me. 
Um, DSP has been valuable throughout every milestone post-collegiate life uh, for me, uh, military with civilian and with the professional and uh, social aspects, just like we market. Um, around this time, four years ago, I was graduating Lack, uh, from Lackland Air Force Base um, at, in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Um, I was getting off of the bus, getting yelled at by a bunch of drill instructors. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, we call it sneaker week because you show up in your sneakers because you don't get your uniforms yet until like the second week of basic training. Um, there are a lot of similarities of basic training to pledging for DSP. So I felt like, you know, there's I, the whole time I was just thinking, I was like, wow, this is just like pledging. Like I felt comfortable in my zone. Um, some of those similarities are like sleep deprivation, getting yelled at while trying to juggle your academics. Um, you got to carry a book, just like you got to carry a book when you're a pledge um, and not, uh, not be seen without your pledge book. So it was just all those things and then being quizzed on the spot and then getting yelled at, like it was, it was pretty spot on. And I felt like super, like in my zone, I excelled um, in basic training. So I ended up being honor graduate and top PT female. Um, some other similarities that they have for while you're an undergraduate, the things that they critique you for is like um, drill and ceremony, uniform inspections and whatnot. And like the uniform inspections, like, you know, going to GBM with your you know, formal business attire. And uh, that was like pretty easy, making sure that your uniform's all pressed and um, there's no strings that are loose and things like that. So uh, I felt totally comfortable and in my zone. Um, so my civilian side, um, I'm a career firefighter and DSP has also prepared me for that. It was a really difficult time trying to um, get into um, the fire service. It's really competitive, um, but I felt DSP prepared me because um, I killed it in the interviews, just having, just being um, polished and having my resume, well-written cover letter, um, everything professionally binded helped me really stand out. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and I ended up graduating my fire academy class as, uh, as nominating um, to be the one most likely to become a fire chief. So it's like all the leadership skills and professionalism that I gained back in 2014 when I graduated college um, and being DSP like really helped me. Um, and then lastly, to tie it up, uh, what veteran day, what, what, what Veterans Day means to me, um, as you see, like I've always been uh, drawn to, to service, being in the military and firefighting and all that. Um, and it's just that uh, what I've learned from being in the military is that um, what we have, like our freedoms that we have in our country are, doesn't come at a, um, it's not free. Uh, for example, like just feeling safe, having clean water, being able to provide for our families, like having that firsthand experience of being in the military really made me realize that, you know, it all comes at a price. And that's why I'm so grateful um, to, I know that Memorial Day is about people that have um, paid the ultimate sacrifice, but Veterans Day is for all of those who have served and are serving. Um, I am just so proud to serve alongside everyone that has come before me and with me now. Um, and it's definitely been the best decision ever joining. Um, and I'm really thankful for getting a chance to talk today.
Christine, did you just say that you graduated college and chose to go enlisted instead of commissioned? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I I, uh, enlisted at age 25 and I've been in four years now, so I'm I'm almost 30 and I will be officially commissioning. Well, one, congratulations on commissioning. That's awesome. Two, I got respect for anyone that goes in, that could go in commission and goes the enlisted route. I got nothing but respect for you. And uh, also, uh, (laughs) you totally snitched on Lambda Fly. Good thing they don't do some of those things anymore, but you know, you just yeah, I don't know if it's still the same, but <laughs> no, that's that, that's great. You just got me more excited about getting back with the Civil Air Patrol, but not excited about PT. So thank you. Uh, and then, last but not least, Brother Keith, floor is yours. Well, I'm taking some notes and trying to decide exactly where to go on this, but um, I I came to. Uh, decided to go into the military when I was around 11 years old. My uh, father worked for IBM, and at the time, he got an opportunity to go to Germany and uh, work for the Army. So there you go, Tony. Uh, And while we were there, uh, we traveled around Europe, and uh, I saw many of the uh, artifacts of World War II, uh, and it had a great impact on me, especially seeing the Berlin Wall, while it was still up and manned by uh, East German guards, um, one of which I will never figure out how they did it. We were on a viewing stand on the West Berlin side, and you could look over the wall to the Eastern side and see some of the uh, guard towers, and one of which looked kind of like a deer stand with little tiny view slits about the size of a pair of binoculars. And I wanted to get a little closer look and I borrowed my dad's camera. And I still don't know where that camera was on the eastern side, but as I got the camera up level with the deer with the deer stand, a pair of binoculars came looking back at me from the German from the East Germans. You couldn't see them; all you saw was the the, uh, the spy glasses. And right then, you know, I, you begin to realize that there's things that we need to guard against um, out there. And I became very much interested in joining the military. Um, I uh, later uh, we went to um, we came back to the United States as I grew. I went to Clemson University, where I was a founding father for the the chapter. I was in ROTC at the time because I was working towards my commission, and I found the 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 similarities between the um, the ROTC community, which is later for the Air Force and Delta. It was much about service above self. And we all understand that as part of our initiation. Uh, and I, it helped me learn how to be a team member, either in a point of leadership or as a part of a team member, which came in great use for me because when I received my commission, I became an aircraft maintenance officer uh, where I was stationed in Georgia, uh, the United Kingdom, and finishing off in uh, in New Mexico, working on F-4s, F-16s, and F-111s, uh, all of which the fighter community go fast, drop bombs on the other side, shoot guys down, things of that nature. Um, we were working in Georgia. Our base was the 347 Tactical Fighter Wing, flying F-4Es, uh, which was part of then known as the Rapid Deployment Force. So we were on basically call to go to the uh, Eastern Asia um, and I can't do any more, any more than that, but uh, if called to do so. 
when I went to the UK, we were right up the front with um, the, as part of the Cold War, deep in the Cold War, with uh, F-111Es, which are one of the fastest aircraft of the tactical uh, category uh, going. Uh, but roughly Mach 2 at about 250 gra- above, above uh, ground level. And then I continued with F-111s through New Mexico, where they were assembling all the 111s for as they began the decommissioning process of them. Um, we, um, we uh, Christine talked about uh, hot swapping aircraft, and we developed uh, that in the tactical uh, community for uh, F-4s and fighters at the time. And the idea was you would pull uh, a, a fighter up, it would park, it would turn off one engine, slap a, slap a fuse hose on it, fuel hose on it, load it with bombs on one side, and then you would turn around, turn that engine off, turn the other engine on, move around the other side, finish the bomb load, finish the fuel load, pull the, t- uh, pull the fuel hose off, slap him on the wing and say, go get him. And uh, you were supposed to do that about a half an hour. And uh, I was uh, participated in some of the training on that locally, and it, it's quite a thing, quite a thing to see. Now, my Delta SIG uh, uh, career, as part of being the installation uh, team, well, not installation team, but uh, the, the founding team uh, in 1982 at Clemson. And then I went on, when I got out of the Air Force, got back in the civilian world. I've been a Delta uh, a DD for Alpha Lambda. I was one for, I want to say, around 12 years. Um, and then I was also part of the team that helped stand up a chapter at Duke University. And I've been on several uh, task forces uh, uh, as a, also. That is about it in a, in a nutshell. So, uh, Vito. Oh, thank you, Brother Keith. That was uh, amazing to hear. I do, I do have a question for you. A few of the brothers in, in, in me and the group were both part of have asked. How did you wrestle with that, the military thing and founding a chapter, especially back in the day? Like, how did that all come together for you? Like, I want to say we, um, we got notice of the chapter's interest the summer of my junior year, uh, 1981. And the... Um, the signs were up around campus. If anybody's interested, come on, let's talk. And a lot of folks turned out. A great number of folks turned out. Thirty-one of us made it to grad, made it to uh, pledging. I mean, and uh, installation. Um, and we all decided that we wanted to basically turbo pledge. And the uh, the, cha- uh, the challenge was given to us: Can you guys make it? for uh, early 82 in advance of grand chapter that year. And we all said, well, yeah, and uh, we did. Now that took a lot of teamwork. Well, we all put in, we all had to stand up and say, I'm going to dedicate time to this so that uh, whatever parts you were in, I was on the communications committee and I also served as junior guide. So we had you know, parts that we had to play and you had to show up, which as we know from the, the civilian world, and the world of work, that's what you got to do. You got to stand up when your number's called and, and be there. And that's that's how it worked out. Okay, awesome. Well, we got, we got a couple minutes left. So I uh, want to just ask you 
Tony and Christine a, a couple questions um, that, that got asked of me when I started planning this. And just can each one of you say, is there, for, for the brothers out there, people in general watching this, that, well, what's something you would like people to know about those who serve in the military or veterans in general that you think is either misconstrued or not commonly known or something like that? And since you already are unmuted, you go first, Teeth. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of GIs, especially when I was interested in joining the military, that's the middle of Vietnam. And they got a bad shake in terms of being ruthless, you know, bloodthirsty. GIs are not that way. Uh, I've discovered almost to a person, uh, the persons that I served with and the people that I know now, there's a deep love of country there. You do it because you want to. Um, Uncle Sam basically promises you three meals and a place to sleep and something to wear when you go to work. Beyond that, not a lot of promises there. And they don't even guarantee you're going to get out of it alive. Uh, you're told up front, you know, this could be a one-way trip. Um, not many people want to sign up for that uh, unless you really, really want to be there and you think that you have a purpose and a calling to be there. All right. Thank you for that. I, I, totally, I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, what about you, Tony? Um, I'll agree with everything Keith said. Um, I mean, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, the military pre-Vietnam was not, was seen in a better light, I think, than, than everybody that came back from Vietnam. And so, um, yeah, they're seen differently. Um, so I'm doing the, you know, go through old Delta SIGs and catalog or tag data, whatever. And, um, and it actually, it all started with Jim, if he's still on there, his story about a chapter that bought a tank. Um, but just going through the old Delta SIGs and the, um, you know, alumni, where are they now? Or, or I forgot the title of the thing. And um, there was a lot, of, a lot of Delta SIGs that were commissioning as second lieutenants and going on between military assignments and everything. And, um, you know, and then after Vietnam, it kind of faded off. But Really, everything he said. All right. And what about you, Christine? Uh, can you read the question one more time? Uh, what's something you would want brothers and people in general to know about veterans or serving in the military that you think is maybe misconstrued as an untruth or just something people don't know about those who have served? Um, I think just... Um since I've been in the military more like um, in the recent days and uh, current events, like I think everyone joins the military for a different reason. Um, a lot of people join to go to, to pay for school. Um, and I think there's a, maybe like those who maybe um, that see the military in a bad light um, that like I mentioned previously, like all the freedoms that we have, like it really, like there's people there that, that protect those freedoms that we have. Um, and you can see that when you travel to other countries and um, people who um, like the refugees, uh, they don't feel safe in their their home country and they're looking for a safe haven. <clears throat> and um, we luckily don't have to worry about things like that. 
Um, so yeah, the, like being in the military is, is an amazing experience. Like it's not, um, just like how it is in the movies, like you're, you have to be a certain way, but, um, there's so many, so much diversity, uh, people from all walks of life, uh, different races, ages, um, and I feel like the military nowadays is really forward moving in, um, technology, um, policies and everything. So, um, I'm really optimistic about the, the future of the military and, um, that's something that I would like to share with other people. All right, great. Uh, this, any of you guys can answer that. Something as a deity that always troubled me is, and also as a collegiate, I saw sometimes when we would pick pledges, there was always concern about those who may be in ROTC or even those who had been, my school was very military friendly. So if you had served, you had no, your GI Bill always went through our financial aid office, no problem. There was always hesitation sometimes with brothers to let veterans and sometimes ROTC members join the pledging process. And it never was really about their time commitment. It just seemed to be a stigma there. Anyone want to give a little encouragement to those who either give encouragement to those military members who are coming back and going to school to pledge DSP or to tell the chapters what they really should be looking at when someone who has that military experience says they want to be a Delta SIG? You know, let me chime in a little bit here. Of course, Brother Joe. Joe Goldblatt, uh, uh, retired Air Force, by the way. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Um, I uh, just told Christine I was uh, I was enlisted and uh, got a special assignment. I was TDY to the University of Kansas. That was my job. I forgot to tell my boss and didn't get a haircut for the half a year, the year that I was there. But besides that, but I was enlisted and then went to college. And after that, after graduating, uh, then applied for and got my uh, commission. So <clears throat> uh, the chapter didn't have any issue. Well, they did, they did have a little issue with me. Well, he's not on the campus. He's, he's uh, what are we gonna do with him? He's peculiar, but they still uh, let me pledge and here I am. I think it's worth telling the chapters that one of the things that you are is drilled into you through your training, whether it be uh, basic training, OTS, ROTC, the academy, is responsibility. And um, when you say you will do something, you will execute. So if you bring in a GI, uh, whether they were enlisted or, or commissioned or a warrant officer, and they uh, come to the chapter and desire to be a part of it, I don't think you quite understand sometimes exactly what you're getting. If they are if they are read into the mission and are part of it, they will perform. You know, they will execute what they tell you they will do. And more often than not, all you need to do is give them the uh, the parameters of what needs to be done and just get out of their way and let them go. They, uh, they'll take care of it for you. They are, and the, as you progress, 
you are given all the responsibility that you can handle. And sometimes more than you think you can, but you are taught to have the soft skills as well as the hard bark, bark, bark to, to get things done. Uh, especially if you're in a logistical field like I am or was, um, you had to talk to folks all over the base to, to get make sure the aircraft were ready to fly. And that was a mission is what we were there for, was to make sure the aircraft could fly the next day. Uh, and that entailed, whether it was in the back shops where I worked, uh, you know, component repair, things of that nature, or the supply side, or the civil, the, the civil engineers, or the transportation folks, or you know, whomever, you know, you had a job to do. So I'll say, so in all of my college experience, both as a collegiate and later when I taught ROTC, um, never an issue. So the chapter at Cal Poly was started um, by a bunch of Vietnam veterans. Um, I did my, my difference. So I did the basic training and, and then I, I did it. So um, my pledging was very much like basic training. Um, um, I get in trouble for saying this, but there's a fine line between her, um, hazing and character development. And they stayed just shy of the character development line. Um, and matter of fact, if you weren't an accountant, I would say 75% of the other brothers, if you weren't in the military, you worked for a defense contractor. So Christine, you, you saw the last C-17. I got a t-shirt from the first C-17 that rolled off because one of my chapter brothers worked there. Another one was building the stealth fighter. Another one was building the stealth bomber. Um, and that's where they all went after they graduated. Um, so the chapter was very supportive. The university was supportive. And then University of Oklahoma is one of the few schools with all three ROTC programs. Um, um, they actually had ROTC the year before ROTC was official. When a, a student body president really had power, he said, all males will do military training. And then the following year, um, you know, DOD started all the ROTC programs. Um, the student union is a World War I memorial, this, the, the stadium um, that they're winning all their football games in this year um, is a World War II memorial. Um, I found the Korean War memorial and I never found the Vietnam, but it's there. And the university president at the time was David Boren, who was the senator and in charge of the Armed Services Committee. So um, even the ROTC, um, teaching the ROTC experience, um, there was never, never an issue with the military and, and DSP. And those are, and all of those that had military experience that did join, um, yeah, they fit right in. They already have the, the ethic and the values and the, and the service you're looking for. Um, and they, and they, they do it. Yeah, um, I personally, I was in Lambda Phi chapter. I haven't had experience where we had an issue with military and DSP. Um, I think I can see like, um, when, if, if we have enlisted people who were enlisted prior and then coming into the chapter, um, like maybe like assimilation, it's, there's a lot of, like, um, Tony mentioned, like there's a, a lot of similarities between um, even the fire service, it's all fraternal. DSP, the military, fire service, like it's all fraternal. And like like we mentioned, like the, um, you know, team bonding stuff and hazing, like all the, um, the rituals that we go through, it's there's history um, and 
it that's what like kind of makes the organization um and um yeah i i haven't had any issues or um witnessed anything that uh there would be an issue between military and dsp i think there's there, there's a lot of valuable members who are military um that i've we've had in our chapter personally um yeah all right, and uh, last question, and Christina, I'm gonna ask you the question. I think you might need a chance to think on it. So I'm gonna ask you a question, then Joe, Tony, Keith, I'm gonna ask you a different one. Christine, as a someone who hasn't been connected to the national fraternity, like I know you're still close with you know Lambda Phi and them, but someone who hasn't been that connected to DSP in the past couple years, you know, how, uh, what is some, what is something I guess, honestly, this, when I asked, reached out to you and said, hey, I'm doing this event, can you come back in the fold and do this? What were you kind of thinking? What were some of your first initial thoughts and how did you feel about it? And then Joe, Tony, and Keith, my question for you is, you know, we have a lot of brothers outside the fold, especially once they get over a certain age line and some who go off to the military after college, they uh, really get disconnected for the time they serve or just family gets in the way. And Christine, you can answer this question too. What, uh, for those hesitant to come back, maybe because they feel they won't fit in, because after military service, they feel like they don't have as much to bring back to the fraternity because they didn't go into the business world. What, what could you say to those brothers? And uh, you guys go ahead and answer as at will. That's a great question. Um, when you initially asked me, I was really excited. Um, like I mentioned, when I was in basic training, I couldn't stop thinking about DSP, like how much there were so many similarities and how well it prepared me for the military. Um, so I was really excited to kind of share my stories and experiences um, and to kind of uh, to come back and just show my um, appreciation. Um, and I guess your question of like joining the military after and feeling a little bit estranged from the fraternity because of that coming back to the business world. Uh, for me personally, it's for multiple reasons. Um, I left Boeing um, and the corporate world behind and uh, working at a desk. I um, pursued a life of service and um, went for something totally unrelated to my degree background and, um, and working in the fire service and the medical field um, because I wanted to help people. And um, I felt like I was doing a lot when I was at Boeing and serving a greater purpose, but also I felt really conflicted and I'm not sure how um, you guys could probably talk about this too, but um, like selling uh, weapons to other uh, countries outside of the United States. Um, I felt a personal conflict with that, even though they may be allies, um, just in general, just building weapons. Um, but being the military, I guess I, it's a different sense of service where um, we're serving and protecting um, and um, just finding my place of fulfillment. Uh, I just, in those ways where, I, where my life path went, I do feel a little strange from the fraternity because I'm no longer able to provide um, the professional mentorship and professional development um, as a, if I had stayed in the corporate world. Uh, Christine, before anyone else answers, I'll just say there's a lot of brothers that will probably love to hear your story and see you as a mentor because you did make that one career pivot and two, seeing you go into a different area of you got your business degree. Now this is what you want to do with your life. So I, I got at least five brothers that are collegiate that probably would love to talk to you. Just saying. Yeah, I have a GI bill to go get my MBA that I don't need. 
I think Christine hit it when she started. Uh, you know, the key is really asking. If you run into somebody and you're doing your, hi, how are you, who are you, where are you, what are you, and you see or you hear they're a brother, um, then you ask them to uh, join you to participate. And they say, oh, okay. It may take a bit, but they'll say, okay. And that's how you get them back in. First, they got to know about it. Know about it being whatever is going on and uh, having something for them to participate in. You know, everybody, all of us change in our life uh, from, uh, from kindergarten to graduation to uh, old farts. Um, it, it changes, you know, your, your time in life, your perspective may not change so much, but your activity may. And it's simply that ask, hey, come on, I'd like you to join with me, do this, do that. And you get them back in. Old fart's kind of harsh. I, I think we call oh, them seasoned, no. al seasoned no. alumni. <laughs> and you're as old as me, you're an old fart. I mean, that's, a, that's how I came back is after a 10-year break was the collegiate chapter, you know, just coming in and saying, hey, we elected you faculty advisor. And, um, and it, it got me back, attended my first GCC. And I've, you know, except for the time I've been overseas or something, I've stayed active and, and did it. But I don't know that I would have if the chapter hadn't, you know, I mean, it was it was fun going to O'Connell's and and visiting the chapter. But I don't know how active I would have been later if they hadn't voted me to be chapter advisor and asked me to do it. I kind of searched it out, Vito, um, after I had gotten out of the service and kind of reestablished myself. Um, in the civilian world, which is kind of a transition, to be honest with you. Um, I found out that we were one of, the, one of the many iterations we've had in the Raleigh-Durham area of trying to start a, uh, an alumni chapter. One of these days we're going to do it, dang it. Um, but uh, we, I plugged back in with the, uh, the alumni folks, and shortly thereafter, uh, the call came, would you be willing to be uh, DD for Alpha Lambda. I had never thought about doing something like that. Um, but I said, well, if you need me, sure, I can give it a shot. Well, it went on for many years. And at that point, then, you know, I would take a break for a little while. And then I would say, okay, I'm ready to give something else a shot. And you go to the, the uh, interest page on the you know, CO on the website and say, you know, here I am. It's kind of like taking the king's showing want to enlist again because if they find something that you think they think you're capable of doing, you will get a phone call you know, or, or an email. Um, but, you know, it, it's first, like Joe said, all you got to do is ask, you know, uh, call them, call the central office before you fill the form out. You know, I've, I've got this kind of skill. I'd like to help something or another, you know, big, small or little, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. I say up until the last month, I say, give me a call. I uh, 
I'll find I'll find a great panel for you to be on, or <laughs> I'll connect you to the right folks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all it's all a case of uh, Tony. You know, you uh, not always what you know is who you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, I'm gonna get the video shared for God Bless America. I actually found the video from when they did the first baseball game after 9/11. Diana Ross saying God Bless America in New York. So gonna play that. But I just gotta ask. Uh, Joe, Christine, and Keith, while I get this set up, how do you guys feel about the Civil Air Patrol? Trying to smile when I say that. Actually, they do a, a good service for the Air Force. I mean, all of the auxiliaries amplify the mission of their parent service. So you have to kind of, you know, where they are. Um, the Civil Air Patrol has a long history of uh, serving the U.S. on the way back to World War II. I think you mentioned that to me. But they are involved in countless numbers of search and rescue missions around the country where they've got civil pilots in an aircraft registered to the United States Air Force with equipment that the military uses to find lost hikers and children and any number of things. The, The Coasties, you know, I can't help but give them props. When something hits, you know, the, there's a, a known, well, a little known, when Hurricane Andrew went through um, uh, Louisiana and New Orleans, while they were busy arguing to see who was going to be in charge, the Coast Guard district commander turned to his district and said, fellas, you do this all the time, go get them. And that's what they did. They were out there rescuing people in and around New Orleans after everybody else finally figured out what they were going to do. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to downplay the regular air, the regular military, but the Coasties were ready for it. That's their job. And they're like, let's go. You know, um, they brought everybody else in and it, it worked from there. Um, but uh, they, uh, they do things that the, the, the regular service doesn't always <laughs> have the resources available. And they are there, again, wanting to help. And they do. All right. You know, Christine, any uh, opinions on the Civil Air Patrol? Hey, they're there. They've got a mission. They do their job. And they do it well. Yeah. I agree with Joe. <laughs> I only ask that because uh, right when I was about to click the video, I uh, just got an email from my major about encampment and training so I was like uh why don't I just go ahead and try to get their opinion on that <laughs> myself while I can I eh? <laughs> but here we go God bless America Diana Ross at Shea Stadium uh, the 21st of September 2001 Can you hear it? Mm-hmm.
Miss Diana Ross, accompanied by the Northport High School. Well, that one always gets to me. <laughs> uh, well, I want to thank you, one, all the panelists, uh, Christine, Keith, Tony, and Omed Joe for, get, for uh, providing their commentary tonight. Definitely uh, uh, glad I could do this event and give that perspective to our veterans and active reservists, Christine. And again, congratulations on getting commissioned. Um, and thank you all for coming out tonight. I'm gonna stop the recording and uh, you guys can stay back and chat for a little bit if you like or whatever. And again, happy birthday to the Marine Corps. Thank you to all our those who are serving and who have served. And shout out to all my Civil Air Patrol friends who are watching and let's call this a wrap. Good job.